Have you ever felt like you were just in way over your head? When someone asked you to do something or you found yourself in a situation and you genuinely just did not know how you were going to get it done. I can confidently tell you that I've been in that situation many times. Uh, the most recent example being in preparing for today. <laughs> uh, perhaps for you, it was a time when you were starting a brand new job, maybe showing up to the office or the place of work for your very first time and realizing that it was going to take more skill, more personal finesse than you ever imagined. Maybe it was the time you were leaving the hospital with your brand new baby and faced with the task of parenting this little life. Or maybe the first time you were behind the wheel of a car and you were uh, faced with the task of operating everything well, harnessing all of your knowledge to be able to drive safely. I think it's safe to say that we're no stranger to that feeling of being in over our head. And I think that's exactly how Moses was feeling in the passage that we're going to look at today. If you've been tracking with the journey that Moses has been on throughout the book of Exodus so far, you know that Moses at this point is in a pretty bad spot. He's on the run, a fugitive, having left behind his family and his entire community out of shame and a fear of being found out for his long list of failures. And it's at precisely this moment that God chooses to reveal who God is in the burning bush, as we heard last week. God introduces Moses to the fact that God is, that God cares and understands and acts to rescue us. Now, most, though most would affirm Moses' belief about himself that he is not worthy of being used by God, uh, God puts a call or a task before him. And all of that brings us to where we find ourselves in the text this morning, which starts in Exodus 3, verse 9 and 10. God says, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses is being sent by God back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And presumably, much like you or I would have done, is engaging in a dialogue with God on the several excuses he has as to why he is not the right person to fulfill the task. It's a version of Moses that is completely different than the one that we read about a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the man who was hungry to use his privilege and his position of power to bring God's justice into the world has now been humbled. And we see this in Moses's posture towards God in the dialogue here. God has given Moses a job to do, the very job that Moses was so hungry to do. But Moses responds to God out of a place of insecurity and hesitancy. Moses' response is to give a series of excuses as to why he can't be the one to do what God has asked, beginning with a very simple question. His immediate response to God is, who am I to do this? Who, who am I? Now, this isn't actually a question, but more a statement of humility. It's a reflection of Moses' awareness of his insignificance and God's greatness, which is actually quite admirable. See, Moses no longer presumes to be someone who can use their privilege and their power to bring God's justice into the world, but is someone who instead acknowledges his inability to do what God's asking. When God still insists that Moses is the one to go, Moses responds with several excuses. What if they ask who sent me? 
he insists that he does not have the spiritual authority to be able to respond, that he doesn't know God well enough to lead God's people. And when God still insists on sending Moses, he asks, but what if they don't believe me? What, how in the world will I be able to accomplish this if I don't even have the leadership credibility to get people to follow me? Moses is piling reason upon reason upon reason. He says, even if I wanted to go, I don't have the authority and I don't even have the credibility to earn the authority. And as if all of that weren't enough, Moses doubts his giftedness or his abilities, pointing out to God that he doesn't speak well. I don't even have the skills to do the job. I'm not a great communicator. Finally, Moses is out of excuses. He's given quite a few already and simply begs God, oh Lord, please, please just send someone else. I don't have the authority. I don't even have the credibility to earn the authority. I don't even have the skills to earn the credibility to earn the authority. Please send someone else. Now, I don't think that Moses' feelings of self-doubt or insecurity are unique to him. You know, as I was reading through this text in preparation for today, I felt a couple, maybe even several moments where my stomach clenched in response to the text. And I've learned about myself over the last several years uh, that when my gut is clenching in response to something that's being told to me or something that I'm reading, I can't help but think that it's hitting a nerve because it is resonating with something deep inside of me. Early on in my ministry life, maybe 11 or 12 years ago, uh, I had someone who I was tasked to lead say to me, you know, you wouldn't actually be able to lead me well for a bunch of reasons. You're a woman, you're younger than me, and you're not even a pastor. And that kind of comment, I have to admit, stuck with me for a long time and in my worst days probably still does. Not because of the comment itself, and not even because of the person who said it to me, but because it affirmed something that I already believed about myself, that I just did not have what it takes to, to participate in God's love and justice coming into the world, that I didn't even have the basic requirements of the right gender or age or relationship with God to be able to do the task. Those things are the exact things that I would have said to God if I were Moses talking to God at the burning bush. Many of these excuses resonate deep with me, and I know that many do for many of you as well. Before my current role as the director of our shelter, I worked uh, in missional engagement, meaning that I worked for a bunch of years to engage the people of our church, people who we know and love, into the anchor causes of our church specifically into the shelter. My responsibility was to help people to take up the call and engage in the task that God has placed on our church to participate in God's love and justice spreading through all of us and all around us. Really to help people engage in unlikely and life-changing friendships with people who have been marginalized in society and whose lives maybe look different than our own. And throughout those years, there were a couple of excuses that came up time and time again, a couple of themes of responses to the asks that I was making. And those themes were remarkably similar to those of the excuses that Moses gave. People wouldn't necessarily say, I don't have the spiritual authority to do the job. That's not necessarily uh, the language that's typical of those conversations. But many people would look at me and say, oh, you know, I could never do that. 
I'm not a pastor and I didn't go to Bible college, or maybe I'm not even a good Christian, or offer some similar reason as to why they were not qualified to participate in the shelter ministry. Others would say something that sounded more similar to uh, Moses' second excuse, insisting that he didn't have the leadership credibility, that the people were supposed to follow him. They didn't have the leadership chops to be able to participate. Those would be potentially the people who would say, you know, I've never experienced that in my own life. I don't have the street cred to do something like that. Still others would point to a lack of skills, even like Moses, not being able to speak well, to not be able to know what to say to participate in shelter life. They would point out that they were not an eloquent speaker or that they they wouldn't know what to say if they were sitting down to eat with someone in the shelter common room. They would maybe say they didn't have the skills to cook for that many people at the same time or that they didn't have the administrative skills uh, required for the front desk. Still others would say they don't know how to play euchre or they could never join one of those programs. They don't know how to rock climb. And on and on it would go. Though we may not use the exact same words as Moses, we all know what it's like to doubt our spiritual maturity, to doubt our leadership credibility, and to doubt that we have the skills or the giftedness required for a big job. We know what it's like to feel that sense of insecurity or self-doubt. And that reason alone is why I love so much how God responds to Moses in this conversation. I think I love it so much because I believe it's the exact way that God continues to respond to us now. God responds to Moses in a way that I believe indicates the character and the heart of who God is. We see this in God's three different kinds of responses to Moses, three different themes of response. First, God responds by alleviating any of the pressure that exists to be someone that we are not. Moses' first response uh, in, as a reason why he could not be the person to go is to say, who am I to be used this way? And God reassures Moses with a promise of his ongoing presence. In Exodus 3.11, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. That's the promise. I will be with you. See, God responds by ensuring that Moses knows that God will be the one to go with. God points back to the truth of who God is. As Mike said last week, you will know me by the way you see me move in your life. I will be who I will be, and who I will be is I will be with you. You see, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter who Moses is or what he has to offer, and it doesn't matter who I am and what I have to offer, and it doesn't matter who you are and what you have to offer. The only thing that God wants is our willingness to participate in his love and justice coming into the world for us to be humble and ready and willing. Actually, God, in response to Moses, doesn't dispute Moses' argument that he isn't enough. God's response was not to boost Moses' ego with all sorts of encouragement and compliments and accolades. Instead, it was to very simply reassure Moses that God would be with him. 
The humility that Moses believed disqualified him from participating in God's work was actually the very thing that qualified him, because what mattered was not who Moses was, but who God was, and that God would be with Moses every single step of the way. How reassuring is that? As an aside, in our experience of being in relationship with people who have been systemically marginalized and treated in a way that time and time again compromises their value, this humility really matters. It deeply matters. See, the qualification to engage is not simply a willingness uh, to be involved, but instead a willingness to acknowledge our inadequacy, our need for God to be present, our willingness to abandon the idea that we in and of ourselves can provide any kind of solution for someone else. But when we engage with humility and allow God to work, the outcome is that God is with us and that more of God is being experienced by everyone involved, more and more of God's justice and love spreading into our world. Further to the promise of God's constant presence, God responds by giving Moses three signs or miracles to perform uh, to be evidence to the skeptics that God is actually the one who sent Moses. Now, we're not going to get into all of the nitty-gritty details about what those signs mean, but God gives Moses three miracles to perform. The changing a rod into a snake, healing diseased skin, and turning water from the Nile into blood. God was reassuring Moses that in performing these kind of miracles for people, it would leave absolutely no room in their mind for questioning whether God was powerfully active uh, in and through Moses' life. God ensures that no one who was doubting whose authority Moses was acting on could continue to deny the power that was evidenced in miracles like this. I've had countless, countless times in my life where I know that I know that God has been active in whether it's a practical response to prayer or a reconciled relationship. And yet I don't always know that someone else, if looking at that same situation through the lens of a critic or a doubter, would believe me. And obviously that's really okay most of the time. But these signs for Moses are personal and responsive to his worry and leave absolutely no shadow of a doubt for whoever sees them. Obviously, when God invites us to participate in God's love and justice coming into the world, God does not routinely give us three miracles that we can pull out of our robe and use to demonstrate to all of the doubters that God is really present and active with us. But as I have seen and as we have seen in our shelter community again and again, what does happen is that when we participate in God's love Coming into the world, we actually do see God show up in what seems like miraculous ways, doing things that only God could do, and demonstrating to everyone watching that God is in it. Finally, God's third response is persistent. I don't know about you, but when I ask someone uh, to do something and they say no, I might push and ask one more time, uh, but before too long, I'm moving on to plan B. God's response to Moses further underscores that plan A for the world to experience the justice and the love that is made right in God's kingdom is the inadequate for the task humans. We see this through persistence. 
God's approach throughout the conversation with Moses is one where God initiates the conversation, invites Moses in to participate in a work of justice, listens to his doubts, and responds to his needs, reminding Moses that he can count on God to be with him, to show up miraculously, to give him whatever abilities he needs to do what he's being asked, and to surround Moses with a community that will support him throughout the entire task. And throughout this conversation, God doesn't get angry with Moses, not until the very end, and then he does. (laughs) But instead, God is patiently persistent. God is not willing to let go of Moses because God knows Moses and he knows his heart. And God knows Moses' desire for justice, his love for God's people, and ultimately the role that he will play in God's story of setting Israel free from slavery in Egypt. So even when Moses refuses the tasks before him, God refuses to set Moses free from the call to participate and instead accommodates him and provides him with a companion, a supportive community in his brother-in-law, Aaron. Perhaps especially in our anchor causes, God's response to us remains one of patient invitation and loving accommodation. The call for all of us to engage fully in God's plan for our church, our community, our region, and ultimately our entire world, it has not and it will not go away. We've often said in the shelter that we're going to be in this until our friends experiencing homelessness and our friends in the church stop desperately needing to experience community and friendship with one another. And I can tell you confidently we're not there yet. What we see in Moses' conversation with God is that God's plan for seeing our world free and experiencing God's love and justice is you and me. It's us. It's imperfect, broken, humbled people who are not disqualified by past failures, who are not excluded for lack of experience or ineligible because of a lack of ability. And there is a community of people who are so eager to see you take up that call, to reach out to Erica and to sign up for a one-on-one connection or to engage in one of the many volunteer roles that puts you into direct proximity to be able to know and to meet our community. And when you do, you will discover that God is with you and with us and that God will show up in unexpected, miraculous, only God kind of ways and that God will give you absolutely everything that you need, including the abilities that you require to do the job and and an entire community of support to participate in the most exciting adventure that you could ever imagine. God's love and justice spreading through us into our community and spilling out into the entire world. What are you waiting for? Let's pray. God, thank you for engaging us in a journey of seeing your love and justice be real in our world. God, thank you that your plan is to engage us in that work. Lord, we thank you that you promised to be present and to be active and to give us absolutely everything that we need to be able to respond to the call that you've put before us. Lord, we pray that as uh, more and more of the truth of who you are uh, resonates deep within us, that we would take up this call. And as we do, Lord, we are eager to see and experience more of your love and justice. God, we love you and we're eager to be part of the journey. In Jesus' name, amen.